Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that through the storms of life, Lord, you are there for us and we can keep our eyes upon you. We know you love us and care for us because, Lord, you gave yourself for us. So, Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus. And, Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming and dying. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying your work of redemption in our lives. We thank you, God, that we can come and worship today. Knowing that our God loves us. And you are supreme in power over us and over your creation. So whatever we go through, we can say it is well. My soul. Oh, Father, today as we open your word and we, we look to your salvation that you have provided for us in Christ Jesus, as we consider the Messiah, Oh, Lord, open our eyes to see Jesus. Help us to have a, a clearer picture of who Jesus is when we leave here today. So we may worship all the more. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. If you do not have a Bible, then I invite you to take one of the Pew Bibles there and open up to page 476, page 476 in the Pew Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, then I invite you to take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. Uh, we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word, so take it and read it and learn from it. Today we are looking at Psalm 110, Psalm of David. We consider the Messiah. Have you ever had a Christmas gift? Maybe you, you wake up on uh, one morning and someone's put a, a big, nice Christmas gift on the, under the tree for you and, and you, you begin to wonder, oh, what's in it, what's in it? And uh, so they start giving you clues. Well, it's, you know, it's red or, or whatever. So they start just feeding you clues. Uh, you don't have a full, full view of what's in the gift. You, you don't know what's in there completely. But, but now you have some idea of what it is. You begin to have some kind of clue about that. Well, that's kind of what we see in Psalm 110 today. Uh, we see that David is responding to the covenant that God has made with him. The covenant that he made with him in Psalm chapter, or excuse me, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I'm just going to read that. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read that. Just a the little clip here from that. And this is the context of Psalm 110. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rods of men, with stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will never depart from him. As I, looked, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before me, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So God sends Nathan to David to establish his covenant of grace with David. He says, your offspring after you, I will establish his kingdom as an everlasting, eternal kingdom. And so then later on, somewhere along the way, God begins to, to give David a vision of what this kingdom's going to look like and what this Messiah, this king whom he has promised, would look like. And so it, it's just like visions, right? He, he didn't see the full picture of, of Jesus Christ coming and living a life in obedience to God and dying on the cross and then being resurrected from the dead. He didn't see all of that. But God gives him some clues. He, he begins to, to give him clues about what this Messiah will look like or who, who this Messiah will be. And so Psalm 10 kind of is a working out of that picture that God has given David as God, David is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about the Messiah who would come. So that's the context. And as we see this then, in, in Psalm 110, what we see here is three roles of the coming Messiah. Three roles of the coming Messiah. Now, of course, this side of Calvary, we have the wonderful privilege of seeing the fullness of Christ, the fullness of the Messiah who would come. So as we begin to look then at this psalm, Psalm 110, we see that Jesus Messiah is Lord of all. Jesus Messiah is Lord of all. So as we begin to work through then, I hope today that you leave here with a clearer picture of who Jesus is and that you just fall more in love with him. So let us look at this this morning, and if you found your place in Psalm 110, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord, a psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends, from, sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. 
He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So as we begin to think through this psalm and see the the three roles of the Messiah, the first role that we see here is that the Messiah is the preeminent king. The Messiah is the preeminent king. Look at that first verse there, the Lord said to my Lord. Now right off the bat here, we see some, a characteristic of the Messiah who was to come. This Messiah, we see here, we see his supreme position. His supreme position. He is in a supreme position. I love this. The Lord said to my Lord. Now Jesus talks about this in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record Jesus talking about this very verse. And he brings it up at the temple. He brings it up before religious leaders. And he, he, he quotes this psalm. And he says, didn't David write in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? And he said, he asked them the question, now how is it if, if this Messiah is a son of David that David calls him Lord? You see, because that's not the natural generation of things, is it? Right? A, a king doesn't call his son Lord. I, I don't, my dad doesn't look to me and call me sir, right? I call him sir because he is before me. And so I honor him as one who is before me. And that's the way it is in, in kingdoms. Queen Elizabeth doesn't bow before uh, her son, No, he bows before her because she is before him. And so Jesus raises this question, how is it that David calls his son Lord? And they couldn't answer him. They just couldn't answer. They don't know. How is that possible? Well, the only way that it is possible is if the Messiah who was to come was in some way before David. He had to be before David. He he had to supersede David and be in a a position of uh, preeminence before David. Of course, Scripture tells us that Jesus was before David. In fact, Jesus tells to the, the scribes and Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham, who was before David? Before Abraham was, I am. He associated himself with God Almighty. We've talked about this before, but I am, that's the covenant name of God, the name that he gives Moses to tell the people of of Israel. When you go to free them from Egypt, tell them, I am sent you. Not the God who was, not the God who will be, the God who is, I am. He always is. He is the eternal God. It's the same name that that derives the name Yahweh, which we see in this passage. Remember from last week, Lord, in the the Old Testament, when you see Lord in all caps, that's the proper name of the Lord, the covenant name of the Lord, a derivative of that verb, I am. When Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees before Abraham was, I am, they knew exactly what he was getting at. He was saying he was God. He was God in human flesh. 
And they picked up stones to, to stone him. Jesus is before David because he is God the Son who came to dwell in human flesh. John puts it like this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were created through him and for him. Nothing that was created was created without Jesus. He is the preeminent God who comes in human flesh. He is a son of David, but before he's a son of David, he was a son of God. He is at a preeminent position. He is at a supreme position before David. Second, we see his so sovereign power. His sovereign power. Notice as it goes on there, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, that's the, the holy city of, of Jerusalem, right? The, the, the capital city of God's people. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. This is getting at the, the sovereign power of the Messiah, a scepter is kind of like a, it's a, a shepherd's staff. You think about a shepherd's staff. A shepherd's staff is used to, to guide the sheep, to rule over the sheep, to, to keep them out of harm's way, and to, to beat off any of the enemies that might come against the sheep, the wolves, and all of those type, types of things. Well, the scepter is, is, is symbolic of and emblematic of uh, a shepherd's staff. It's the king's shepherd's staff, if you will, who, who, what, what he uses to rule and reign over his people. And he uses it to, to hold them in their place and to guide them and give them direction and to also beat off enemies and protect them. So this is a, a symbol of the divine power of the Messiah, the sovereign power of the Messiah. He is a mighty Messiah. There's no one else before him. He is one who will rule over his enemies. His enemies will not conquer him, but he will rule over them. We see his supreme power and his sovereign, or supreme, supreme position and his sovereign power, but we also see here his sanctified people. His sanctified people. Look at verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. So he's not hiring mercenaries here. These are people who are freely follow him, love to follow him. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your offspring will be yours. Look at that. Draw in on that, that word, in holy garments. His people will, will willingly come and follow behind him. And they will offer themselves clothed in holy garments. This is a, a ruler who sanctifies his people, who makes his people holy, who clothes them in holiness. And they love him for it. They follow after him. You know, that's a picture of what Revelation tells us on the day of the Lord. 
when the Lord comes to conquer all of his enemies and all of his people will be dressed in white following after him those whom he has redeemed those whom he has purified and sanctified by his work of redemption see this king he sanctifies his people the way he sanctified his people was by coming first of all to Calvary's cross as Miss Sue was there showing earlier with the pencil and the eraser, uh, we are covered with sin, but Jesus comes as the mighty eraser and he erases our sheet. He erases the sin off of us. Not only does he erase the sin from us and go pay the penalty for that sin for us, but then he comes and clothes us with his own righteousness, with his own obedience to the Lord. So we're not sitting there naked, but we are clothed in his righteousness. He makes us holy. He sanctifies us. Oh, what a mighty king. A king who is supreme in power, sovereign, or supreme in position, sovereign in power, and one who sanctifies his people by his own blood. Paul, writing to the young Timothy describes Jesus Christ our Lord as the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen and can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Equipped with only a a cursory glimpse of the Messiah, King David called him Lord. He surrendered his life to him. If you want to know the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ, dear friend, you must do the same. You must do the same. Jesus Christ is the preeminent king if he is preeminent king then that means you can't be you can't rule and reign over your life if he is king over your life Jesus is the preeminent king and either you surrender to him now in this life you bow to him you call him Lord You'll surrender to him in the next, on the day of judgment. Which will it be? You can't sit on the throne of your life and know Jesus. He is the preeminent king. He gives his position to no one. Will you surrender to him today? Jesus is the preeminent king. Second, the Messiah is the perpetual priest. The Messiah is the perpetual priest. The Lord has sworn, verse 4 says, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now what in the world does all of that mean? 
when you think about a priest, we don't think much about priests because we have preachers and not priests. We don't operate in that way. But, but we have to think about the priesthood and going back to the Old Testament and just think about the, the function of the priest in the Old Testament and under the Old Testament law. A priest is one who, who acts as a, a mediator between God and man. You see, because of our sin, we can't go before a holy God. If we as sinners go before a holy God, then all he can do is crush us, pour out his angry wrath on us because of our sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. And so we have to have a mediator between us and God, lest God destroy us in his wrath for our sin. And in the Old Testament, there was the Levitical priesthood. The sons of Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest established under the Mosaic law. And so he would go in and he would work as a mediator between God and the people of Israel. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 notes this. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin now here's the problem with that old type of priest he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice first for his own sin just as he does for those of the people. You see, there's the problem with the human priesthood, the old priesthood under the Mosaic law. You see, first of all, the priesthood, the priests were all sinners just like us. And so when they went into the temple to offer a sacrifice for sin, they had to go in for themselves first. They had to cleanse themselves and purify themselves first. And then they had to come out and then offer up a sacrifice for the people. You see, they were sinners, so they were not really a, a, a great mediator. All of that was to point us to the mediator who would come. So they were, first of all, sinners themselves, but second, they died. They died. Aaron died. His children after him died. Why they die? Because of their sin. But Jesus solves those two problems. The Messiah whom David pictured, whom God let him foreknow, solved the problem. We see in this text that first of all, we see his preeminent priesthood. His priesthood is a preeminent priesthood. It, it's, it's a permanent priesthood. Excuse me, a permanent, not preeminent. Too many P's. It's a permanent priesthood. It's everlasting. It's an everlasting priesthood. You will be a priest forever. Forever. There's no end to this priesthood. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23. Hebrews 7 kind of gives some, some commentary to this very verse but he, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 23 through 25 says this 
the former priest were many in number because they were uh, prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, who, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, Jesus Christ was without sin. The death he died, it was in our place. He died for us. And because he was without sin, God then raised him again from the dead. And now he lives, and he lives in glory. He lives and, and sits at the right hand of God. And there he intercedes for us. He is our mediator between the Father and us. That's why when we pray, we say we pray in the name of Jesus because we've got to go through him. He is our permanent priest, our everlasting priest. But not only is his priesthood a permanent priesthood, but his priesthood is also a perfect priesthood. Oh, this is important here. This is important here. His priesthood is a perfect priesthood. Notice what it says. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's a name, isn't it? I bet you nobody's named their kid Melchizedek. You are a priest forever after the, the, the line of Melchizedek, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, who is this Melchizedek guy? Now, if you were here for our, ser our series through the life of Abraham, you might remember old Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a, a, a king priest. Right, a king priest from Salem, which is Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem before the, the conquest of the land and before David took over Jerusalem. So Melchizedek was a, a king priest over Salem who came out after Abraham had, had conquered a bunch of kings and Abraham pays tithes to him, pays homage to him because he is a, a, a priest of the Almighty God. He's a, he's a believer, right? He, he is a priest of the Lord. Again, Hebrews chapter 7 gives us a little bit of the commentary here. Hebrews chapter 7, 1 through 3 says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Now, watch this. This is, this is key here. He is first, Melchizedek is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is king of Salem, that is king of Salem, that is king of peace. And so the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. King of righteousness, a righteous king. This king Melchizedek in the Old Testament is a type or a foreshadow of the king priest who would come, Jesus Christ. And whereas this king priest of the Old Testament, yes, he had sin in his life and he died and he went the way of all men, yet he foreshadowed the priest who would come, who was the pure king priest, 
who is purely righteous. There is no sin in him whatsoever. He is without sin. He is perfect. Which makes him the perfect sacrifice. Hebrew chapter, uh, chapter 7 verse 46, or 26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, high priest Jesus Christ, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He is perfect in righteousness. He has no need like those high priests, the other high priests who offered sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then those of the people since he did this once for all. And he offered up himself. For the, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, the oath of God, which came later than the law, appoints son who has been made perfect forever see Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest he had no sin there was nothing in him deserving death and yet he willingly went to Calvary's cross and he offered himself freely Lord, put their sin on me. Put their guilt on me. Put their filth on me. And let me receive the just punishment for all their unrighteousness. He was a perfect sacrifice. He gave it all to save us and to make us holy and righteous before God. He is the perfect priest who sits on the throne of God forever and makes intercession for us. He mediates between us and God. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But Jesus went and died for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus shed His blood. Becoming our high priest, sacrificing himself once for all. Let me tell you, dear friend, the only way to God is through our high priest, Jesus Christ. You go through him or you don't go to God. Have you trusted in him? Have you given your life over to him? The Messiah is the preeminent king and the perpetual priest. Finally, we see here that the Messiah is the peerless judge. The Messiah is the peerless judge. Look at the last few verses there. Verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall shatter kings on the day of his wrath. You see, dear friend, there's coming a day of wrath. Right now is the day of grace. 
God is, is giving us His grace and, and extending to us an invitation to come under His grace. But there's coming a day of wrath when the Messiah will come and He will conquer. And when He comes, he, his, we see that He will have an unrivaled conquest of the earth. His will be an unrivaled conquest. When He comes in His wrath, there's not one who will be able to stand before Him. There's not one who will be able to resist him. But all will be put down by the word of his mouth. They will fall before him. He will conquer and he will judge rightly. His is an unrivaled conquest. Second, his is an unescapable judgment. When Christ comes again, first time he he came in grace. Providing salvation and forgiveness by His blood. When He comes again, He will come in wrath and judgment. And when He comes in judgment, grace is over with. Grace is done. All is left is His wrath. As He pours out His righteous judgment upon this world. And there's not a soul who continues in their rebellion against His sovereign reign who will stand before Him. His judgment is unescapable. No one will escape. He is the peerless judge. He is the peerless judge. No one will escape His judgment revelation chapter 19 gives us a picture of this day of his wrath revelation chapter 19 starting in verse 11 john says then i saw heaven open and behold a white horse The one sitting on him is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's us. From his mouth comes a sword, a sharp sword, with, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress. Oh, listen to this. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, the vultures, the scavengers. He says, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of, the ca- of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, but fr- all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast of the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the, on the horse and against his armies. Like they could stand before him. And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet who, is, who, in, his, who in his present had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those whom worshipped his image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of, of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. On the day of the Lord's wrath, all grace and mercy is over. It's all judgment from then on. Jesus Christ is God's peerless judge. And on that day, the day of his wrath, no one will withstand him. Jesus Christ, Messiah, is God's preeminent king. He's his perpetual priest and his peerless judge. And one day, dear friend, every knee shall bow to King Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Philippians 2 says. In the last verse of our text today, it says, He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will, be, he will lift up his head. This drink from the brook by the way gives us the image of the man of war who during the heat of the battle has nowhere, nothing to drink and he, he bends the knee down to a mud puddle, the, whatever is there to drink to, to quench his thirst. Commentators are, are split on my, what this means, but I think what it means is that it, here we have, first of all, the picture of Jesus' humility. His humility when he came in his humanity and he died on the cross. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He, he became like a servant, like a man. He put on human flesh. He humbled himself to the point of death. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
See, Jesus bent the knee and he came down to this mud hole of humanity and he, he lived with us and he breathed with us and he lived for us. He went to the cross with our mud on his back. Therefore, he will be lifted up. Because he bore the mud and shame of our existence, God will lift him up. Therefore, the name has been given to him that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. To the glory of Father. Dear friend, one day you will bow the knee to Jesus. You will either bow the knee to Jesus in this life, as King David did, bowing to him as Lord, surrendering your life to him, trusting in the salvation that he, has, he offers us by God's grace through faith. Or you will bow the knee on the day of his wrath when he will throw you to the ground and pour out the righteous judgment due your sin and your rebellion which will it be which will it be will you continue to, li to live in rebellion against this Almighty God, this Almighty King, will you bow the knee to Him? Receive His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that you sent your son to be the preeminent king to rule over us because his rule and reign is a gracious rule and reign a reign that is out of love he is our faithful high priest who offered himself for our sins so that we could be with you and have a relationship with you. Oh, Father, I pray that everyone here today would trust in Jesus, surrender to him as king and priest over their lives. And not meet him as the peerless judge on the day of his wrath. Oh, Lord, work in hearts today. Let us know Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.